We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Experience. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience live on the DraftKings YouTube channel and the Pat Mayo Experience Facebook. Now that I've hit the button, it's definitely up there now. All right, let's recap week six in the NFL. Talk about the waiver wire upcoming for week seven. Not a ton going on on the waiver wire, but some good streams both at defense and at quarterback. Plus, we'll preview the Monday night game and look forward a little bit into week seven and maybe adjust to some of these early spreads, plus recapping the entire injury report from the NFL and how that affects your fantasy roster going forward. Sal Vetri will be joining me here in just a second, but first, I do want to let you know some things like number one, smash the like button for this episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Let me know how much fab you would use on the waiver wire and who you would pick up this week because yeah, there's a case to be made for some guys not to like, spend all of your budget or anything like that, but there's some good players out there. There are no great players currently available on the waiver wire, so I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say out there. My article right now with the rankings and the injuries are, is up on dkplaybook.com. You can find it in the description or comment section of this podcast podcast and video that's a living document it gets updated when injuries occur so i'll update it again after monday night football and again before i do the rankings on tuesday and i'll touch it up a little bit if something big happens with jake seeley on tuesday show before we get into the rankings like i do every single week if you're looking for the pat Mayo experience listeners league i do not have the link to that yet so once that becomes available i'll go back and add it the moment i get it so you can go reserve your spot best tournament on DraftKings, by the way 15 to enter three max entry no rake whatsoever so more bang for your buck in the pat mayo experience listeners league on DraftKings than any other tournament on DraftKings. let's bring him in right now sal vetri with from the sal vetri youtube channel which everyone should definitely go subscribe to right now what's going on my man how's it going pat yeah i'm excited to be here again we're like to the point of the season where we can maybe start to make some 
more rasher assumptions. It's crazy because the NFL is just the storyline changed so quick. A month ago, Dallas looked like the best team in the league. And now we're wondering if they're even a good football team. So excited to break it down six weeks through the NFL season. Yeah, so we'll get to our power rankings of the teams here in a second. Plus, I have a new MVP watch that we can kind of go over and talk a little bit about what happened to us as in terms of fantasy, in terms of betting and everything like that and DraftKings play from week six. But I do want to announce the winners from the giveaways from last week. So credited 20 DK dollars into your account. I don't know if that's done yet, but it will be soon. A Moreman, Big Berm, B Patterson, 40 Eli underscore Montana 10, Monroe, Da Kitty, iMart 1313, Zanzir Golden, Q, or sorry, UT Quillen, K Rich 25, Lockport 3121, and Venom underscore Do. I don't know if I'd put an underscore in my DraftKings handle. It seems like something I would forget constantly. But hey, here we are. How'd you do on DraftKings last week? Because I actually did okay. I only ended up playing three lineups. I played a bunch of three maxes, single entries, and you know, two of the lineups did really well. Uh, that that one Kyler Murray lineup that had Le'Veon Bell in it for me did not do so hot, but the other ones were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We were talking right before the show started. This was probably one of my my worser weeks i guess you can say i'm somebody who plays yeah you, you touched on three maxes and single entries a lot and i'm pulling up lineups right now actually um yeah so i had two thirds out of all my three maxes pretty much with levy on bell so that's something that took a huge hit um zico elliott the one lineup that didn't have him really prop that one up but yeah it was a week where there's a lot of i guess you can say chalkier or expected wide receivers that just don't come through being high on deandre hopkins and tyreek tyreek coming through DeAndre Hopkins, watching him drop a touchdown pass, it was it was brutal. That was something that was a, a big big difference in the week. So probably one of my worst – I have to check with week one, um, but probably one of my worst weeks yet. Uh, but I was actually experimenting with uh, like 150 maxes, just getting some help from some other people in the industry that I met. And I think next week in the lower stakes, I'm going to try and test out some of these 150 uh, max, like dollar entries, and, and just really mess around with it a little bit more. Yeah, I know that's something that I did. I tried to revamp my entire golf game at one point, and I was kind of like treading a lot of water. I was slightly losing a bit every single week. And I started to think, should I be playing either 20 entries or 50 entries or 150 entries? And there's a 50-cent mini-max where you can enter 150 entries. And it's good, like, I mean, yes, it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you 75 bucks if you want to max enter it. But it's a good way to figure out if something like that is for you instead of having to invest, you know, the into the millionaire maker. The millionaire maker is only ten dollars this week, but you can invest seventy-five dollars or potentially even less if there's a twenty-five cent one. And sometimes there are ten cent ones that you can do this into. It's a great way to go learn before you have to go invest fifteen hundred bucks into the millionaire maker and try to do something like that. So I highly recommend that everyone go do that too. And if you check the description of the video or podcast, uh, the guys from Daily Roto, Drew and Mike, just talk through a lot of the strategy, even if it's single entry, three max, or hundred and fifty max, and playing that many lineups. That entire strategy video is in there i learned a ton from it in the preseason i know that people have been doing really well with it so far and just using the daily roto tools overall has really helped me so far in this DraftKings season i've had a few bad weeks i've had a couple good weeks i'm probably coming off my best week right now cooper cup kind of buried me uh, a little bit in my main lineup but you know having having cherry terry mclaurin in there scoring mclaurin uh coming through and some ap action it's, 
and without even playing Case Keenum. It was kind of weird, but I was just like, I independently like these two guys, and I think they're the only two that are going to do anything, and boom, all of a sudden, it just kind of works out. So uh, if you go to dailyroto.com and use the promo code THEPME, you'll get yourself 10% off. They have an optimizer. They have all the tools, and just it's hard to hand-make 150 lineups, so using their optimizer and lineup generator is a tool that I really do try to take advantage of when I decide that I really want to leap in. It's funny, Sal. I had a terrible picks week against the spread, but I did the Sunday live show and I was like, I'm not even going to bet a spread on Sunday. Just like I have no feel for this board whatsoever. And I'm going to give myself a quick Barry Horowitz here. Just a quick back pat. And just to not have the temptation of being like, you know what? I have to bet on this slate. I want some action on the games. I was like, you know what? I'll just play some props. The props turned out great. I gave up the three solos and the parlay, all three hits. So winning week from the betting side. But in your picks pool, if you tailed me, you did fucking awful. Uh, did you bet anything on the weekend? Or were you just like, just kind of sitting back and playing DraftKings? Yeah, I was just playing DraftKings. I have some stuff down for the Monday night game tonight. Um, I have a couple of, I have two player props and then I have just an over under pick on that. But yeah, I was, I was somebody who probably last year was the last like big year that I was just like doing some of the sports line betting and trying to open up and get into the, the earlier spreads when they came out and things like that. And I was just, I was just terrible at it. Um, it's a really tight industry and I want to get it more into our tight market. I really want to get into more of the player prop side. Cause that's exactly where like the books know they're terrible if they're putting such low caps on it. So yeah, player props is somewhere I want to look more into it. and just trying like for being in the States in North Carolina, which is like one of the slower ones to move at it being legal here to sports bet, just trying to find places that makes the most sense to get action down on these props. Yeah, it's tough to do in some of these states where it hasn't been quite legalized. It's even difficult to like see the odds if you live in one of these states, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that's like the biggest problem for me. I have two friends and I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania. I have two friends that are in that area right now. And, and I'm in a group chat with them. They're always sending props and lines and stuff. And that's really how I know like some of the updated stuff. I mean, I could check on some of the, the Bavadas and whatever other uh, DK sports book and all that, but trying to find somewhere where I can actually get action down here. It's like impossible. So uh, let's do one thing I want to start doing here just a little bit, but I always forget every single week is you know, the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. I talk about it all the time, rake free. Everyone should go join it once that link is posted. I cash two of my three teams in it. And one of the things that I don't have a whole lot of control over the tournament, but one of the things for golf and football that I really wanted to hammer down on is that if you finished inside of the money that you win at least double, like I played in uh, a couple of like the $33 five max ones and I cashed two lineups and like I lost money in the tournament and i was like oh well i didn't lose money in the tournament but like i got i cashed two lineups in the 33 so i was in for 99 i think i ended up getting back like 107 or something like that because they were basically min caches so i really wanted to make an emphasis that if you cash you win at least double your money having no rake in the tournament really goes a long way to allowing that but the winning lineup from this week i can't believe it has marking room in it that gets me so low uh, especially when you probably could have had like Chris Carson for the same price right around there. Oh, he did have Chris Carson too. Anyway, Matt Ryan was the quarterback. Chris Carson, Mark Ingram, Stefan Diggs. You probably needed Diggs if you were going to win this week. Uh, Scoring McLaurin, Tyler Lockett. Oh, this could have been an even bigger week considering Lockett had that touchdown called back at the end, but I guess Carson ended up getting in, so it was a bit of a wash. Austin Hooper, Muhammad Sanu, and Broncos D. It's funny, Sal, after last week when you needed like 300 points to end up winning, 224 is like an easy winner here. It won by three points. Yeah, I have the, I have the Millie Maker lineup too. It was like 241, the Millie Maker this week, and it's a lineup that it doesn't even seem like that crazy to actually go out and build compared to what weeks past, especially last week, like you were saying over a hundred points more scored in the Millie maker. It's just funny. Like, I think Sanu, I, I, I didn't end up doing it. I didn't end up doing like 
I played two Kyler teams and I ended up playing a Mahomes team. And I thought like I was brilliant with my Mahomes call through like a quarter. Uh, and then it didn't really work out so hot, but Kyler was all right. I really wish I had stuck to my guns with Kirk cousins. I was big on him and I just kind of ran at a time. Uh, I was going to end up playing like 10 lineups or 20 lineups. I made the three and I was like, yeah, I got stuff to do. It's Canadian Thanksgiving. We're, we're here working on a holiday. It's a family day. Had to go hang out with the fam jam. We got the father-in-law in town. We got the baby walking around. Sometimes this stuff kind of gets in the way. So I do the show. I go race to do that. And I'm trying to watch all the games at once. And now the one week when I'm just big on Kirk cousins, playing Kirk cousins, and stacks don't do it like an idiot despite talking about it with davis on the show i feel like a fucking moron but either way this is a pretty good lineup i mean mark ingram should probably be disqualified so i think this guy may need to give his money back i think i'm gonna have to try to make that a rule with DraftKings that if you use mark ingram you instantly come in last place in the pat mayo experience tournament you just have to give your money away but congratulations to cristo 33. That is a highly impressive lineup. Kyler Murray and David Johnson, Miles Sanders were the one, two, three for the second place lineup. Uh, so it all kind of worked out really well. Demir Bird in that lineup too. Hey, get yourself some savings. One big catch at 0.1% ownership. You're good to go. So I thought now that we're into week seven, frankly, Sal, that a lot of people have checked out of fantasy football. If you're still doing well, you know who's up on the waiver wire. So we'll get to that in a second. We don't need to go super deep on it. But I want to kind of frame our discussion of the recap just a little bit. I made some notes, just kind of one-liners about some of these games of stuff that I really noticed. But I want to start with MVP watch. Uh, So I kind of wanted to get your insight on this. So I have Russell Wilson right now. If you were to name the MVP today, I think the MVP is Russell Wilson. Yeah, I agree with you. I have right when I heard you say the MVP watch stuff, I just started thinking about it. And yeah, Russell Wilson to me uh, would be that guy so far through the season. And, and it's it's kind of crazy how he's doing it because last year he was just so efficient in terms of his touchdown percentage. And once again, he's leading the league in that department and he hasn't fallen off that much. It was somewhere in the the mid 8% um, in terms of how often he was throwing a touchdown pass. And now it's like 7.7%. So he's just still so highly effective. And when you think about it, like the weapons around him, he's making Tyler Lockett into a true number one wide receiver. And he's dealing with just poor offensive line play. And a lot of that's due to injuries. So, yeah, he's been fantastic on just what is limited pass attempts for a team that if they get ahead, will run the ball a lot. So after that, it gets kind of dicey because I don't think like Mahomes is dealing with this injury. But obviously, you have to hold that against him if we were to give it out today. Then I went Wilson, Watson, Mahomes, McCaffrey. Then I have Lamar Jackson, I guess. Is there someone I'm like obviously missing from that list? No, I mean, no, I don't think so. I would have had, yeah, I was going to say, where do you think uh, McCaffrey comes in on that? We know running backs, for the most part, kind of get the short end of the stick uh, when it comes to MVP odds, but he's he's literally been just carrying that team. Um, so, yeah, I would have McCaffrey high up there. Watson is somebody who comes to mind with Mahomes as sort of rounding out like a top four. Um, yeah, after that, I'm not really sure because you have Aaron Rodgers, a guy who's always going to be getting MVP in terms of odds hype, but hasn't done much this season. The way that they're using him is just not to do much. He's being kind of turned into, quote unquote, a game manager a little bit more. It's, it's not much. First three weeks, I would have said Dak Prescott, maybe Jimmy G, just because he's at the helm of a 5-0 and team, um, but not much right now. Tom Brady, I guess, is somebody who always comes up, but that's why it seems like it seems like Wilson's on like a tier of his own right now because nobody else is really separating themselves from the pack. I, I would probably put Lamar up there because, again, second 100-yard rushing day. He had like 100 yards on the ground at, at halftime, and um, doing it without Hollywood Brown and doing it with really limited weapons, if you actually think about it, in Baltimore, or what is now a 4-2 and two team. Yeah, it seems like it's... It's Russell Wilson and maybe Patrick Mahomes on that same tier, and then it drops off a little bit. Yeah, I would even throw Deshaun Watson into that mix, too. Lamar, I just put at number five because of the stats that once we look at them at the end of the year, and even looking at them right now, it's like, oh, my God. Like, this this is an incredible year. But that's 
I don't think that he actually has a realistic shot of winning the MVP unless the Ravens roll off a bunch of quality wins instead of like losing to average to good teams and just beating up on all the crappy teams that there's going to be sort of a line of demarcation there. McCaffrey is probably not going to win uh, unless he like averages 200 yards a game or something crazy like that. And again, against both just don't play, uh, don't play receivers or running backs against San Francisco. And if it's McCaffrey and he can fall into the end zone and they can do things in the receiving game, play them against Tampa. They are not a, receiving running back do not play running backs against Tampa those are those are two things to take away at least for the near future going forward for fantasy but the actual odds on the MVP right now Mahomes is still the favorite at plus 220 Russell Wilson is second at plus 225 Deshaun is six to one McCaffrey is nine to one and then you kind of hit it on the head name value goes a long way once we talk about something like the MVP as Rodgers and Tom Brady are next both at 14 to one I don't think either one of those guys has done anything to be in the MVP discussion. No, I don't either. I think Brady, there, there's like half of all of his games so far. There's just moments where he looks like a 42-year-old quarterback out there. And Rodgers, he even came out and said it. He's like, I, I don't want to be putting up, or I don't need to put up the statistics anymore after that last win. He just said, I just want to win games now. And the way that they're using him and, and really uh, LaFleur coming over from Tennessee wanted to be run first. Um, I, I have no idea why, but the way that they're using it, that's just going to kind of hammer the ceiling on what an MVP season could look like for Rodgers. I guess like naming somebody else, Carson Wentz a little bit, but when you're in a, when you're playing on a team that's not performing as well, especially with those expectations, it's not great. But when you look at Wentz in terms of like efficiency numbers, he, he's been good and, and he's dealing with a lot of injuries there, but yeah, nowhere near some of those top three, four names that you said, especially the quarterbacks. Uh, and I guess you mentioned Jimmy G. He comes in at 20 to one. And that kind of gets me into these like single takeaways that I, I want to talk about in terms of a recap. I have a bunch on Garoppolo and just stuff. I That's the one real, if I watch like some of the quick, like, five to eight minutes just re-watching all the games I went back and watched like the every single play in its full from that game this morning because it was you know kind of on I was watching I was like what the hell is going on in this game so I really wanted to give it a second look like one like there are a few things that I really noticed that Jimmy G hasn't looked very good so far he is doing exactly what he needs to do he's throwing a ton of screen passes uh just very high percentage high efficiency passes that's really good he's not really asking Kyle Shanahan is not asking him to throw the ball downfield. We haven't really seen the 49ers trail yet. And I thought that's what would happen in this Rams game, especially with the two tackle injuries to the 49ers that the Rams would get a bunch of pressure. But Kyle Shanahan did a really good job of scheming that away with these short passes. And even if you look at some of the long receptions, whether it be someone like George Kittle or even Pettis, you know, you hit one guy on a slant and he takes it 25 yards. It's not like he's finding people down the field. I've seen him do it before. I just haven't really seen much of it this season as it pertains to Jim. Jimmy Garoppolo but it's really weird things like there there was one play in the game he ended up taking a sack on it but it was a very clear offside from the defense it was a free play and we saw how Patrick Mahomes took advantage of this against the Texans we see Tom Brady do it we see Aaron Rodgers do this like um like basically twice a week at some point like just the lack of awareness of knowing that hey like I don't need to sit here and take the stack even if I'm running just why not just chuck it up to the middle of the field knowing that this is going to be a free play for me I just thought that the lack of awareness from Jimmy Garoppolo is really strange and I think that's what separates him from being a truly elite quarterback like Brady is getting by with diminished skills right now because of what he can do with the line of scrimmage he can identify the defense he can change the play when necessary but just being that next level of football understanding that he has Drew Brees has it Mahomes seems to have it it's just he's 
dealing right now with his physical capabilities are not living up to what he's normally able to do. And I think he's really struggling with that. And we're seeing that affect the Chiefs offense. So once that ankle heals, if he does get a chance to heal, uh, maybe he needs a week off. I don't know that he's another one of these guys that can do it. Jimmy G doesn't actually seem to have that right now. Like there's a lack of awareness on the offense in his part. Just the offense is designed so well that it's really working. It's a lot like he's better than Goff, but it's a lot like what we've seen from Goff probably over the past 10 games. Yeah, I, I think that's the spot because I was saying earlier how uh, looking for like the weaknesses of this team, uh, offensive line play a little bit due to injuries right now, but that's going to share up when they get healthy. And then, yeah, Jimmy G might actually be the weakness because they have so much talent everywhere else. And this, this defense is just absolutely ridiculous in terms of how stout they are uh, holding Jared Goff, who hasn't had a great year, but below 80 yards in, a, in passing is just unreal over around all around what they're doing. But yeah, uh, Jimmy G, you, we mentioned it, the, the terrible interception in the end zone doesn't look good. And I think a big part of it is you're saying they're not trailing yet. They haven't trailed in any of these games. Their closest game was, what, a, a four-point difference where they won against the Steelers. They're probably not going to trail against Washington this upcoming weekend. I want to see how Jimmy G and the offense plays from behind. You know that they have Kittle out there, but in terms of a threat on the outside, Pettis seems like he's slowly becoming that. Um, but can they play from behind and kind of get into a shootout and win that type of uh, environment? It doesn't seem like they need to because of their defense, but I guess that's the point of they're 5-0. and oh, What can we kind of pick apart at them? It would be how do they play from behind a little bit? And then it would also be like, what's propelling them upwards is their talent. And yeah, it might be that right now he, he's getting a little bit of an elevation and a boost from just some of the best offensive play calling uh, in the league in his corner right now. Yeah, it just, it strikes me as strange. Is like, we've seen Jimmy G a few times like this, that he's, unless they can effectively run the ball, which they have done inside of the red zone, that they're going to be you know, very effective doing that. And just, it's a part of their game plan. But he himself has been very poor on short fields. And so far this season, Tom Brady has been really sh- poor at short fields and actually dropping back and throwing the ball. I-, I wonder if this is like a product of the one thing that New England doesn't practice is like throwing the ball from the 10 yard line. It, j- it just seems strange that it's, and maybe it's because we have such a microscope on these two because they're the only two undefeated teams left that it just seems strange that these two teams would struggle so much passing the ball inside of 10 yards. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, I think the Burkhead injury for New England specifically hurts a little bit there, but, and getting Edelman back is going to slow, surely help that a little bit, but yeah, that, that's actually, that's actually an interesting uh, narrative there. Uh, the, the two teams that are struggling the most and that maybe in the most and that uh, coming from the, the same family tree, I guess you can say. Yeah, so like I mentioned, he, you mentioned that he threw the pick in the short field. He just kind of threw it to Roby right in the end zone, like right to him. It was kind of strange. And then there was another like just horrible pass he made in the game. The Rams just dropped. Like sometimes those are things that get overlooked because they don't actually show up on the stats. That's why I like going back and watching these games, even if it's like the abbreviated version, but you see every play. I mean, let's be real here. It doesn't take, you watch a game on TV, it takes three hours. If you watch like the entire thing and just play by play second for second as it runs off the clock, it's going to take you uh, a quick 60 minutes if it gets edited down maybe 50 but you can actually watch all of the plays in like seven minutes where do you do that at? I, like i'm in canada so i have access to that through DAZN because uh, they're the rights holders in canada but if people were looking for that in america to go back and watch these condensed games where do you find that at yeah so i mean it, it, you can just get it on youtube nfl posts them to their youtube channels i then like go in like you were saying the play-by-play stuff on specific players like if they had a good game or, or they had a poor game really and seeing what happened and watching all their plays. But yeah, you have the, and I personally do this every morning on, on Mondays, like today in the morning, I, I just go back and I look at um, all the games on, on YouTube, NFL posts, each of them. It's like a 10 minute clip more times than not. And you could put it on just 2X speed. It might be a little bit fast, um, but you get them down in like five minutes uh, the way that they edit them. And pretty much what you're getting there is you're getting filtered out of all the two yard runs that don't matter, 
all the incompletions that don't have a penalty attached to them or an injury. And then you're getting to see any play that matters. It could be a seven yard run. They'll show you it and any type of injury penalty. So you see everything that's meaningful in honestly, like four to five, six minutes if you're putting it on two X speed. Yeah. Watching it on two X is something that I kind of t- try to take advantage of too. I do like to, if I have the time, I like to go back because Monday morning is pretty compressed. We're doing content and just to go back and watch every single game that happened. Even if you watch it two X and it's a 45 minute feed, it's going to take up uh, you know, like, Basically, you have to wake up at 5 a.m. just to finish all the games and come in and watch. So you want it to be like an add-on. But I did want to watch this one back very intensely just to watch some of these incompletions and stuff that maybe you just don't end up picking up. The one thing that I really like, I thought Kyle Shanahan called an incredible game here. And I think the best play call, and something that we haven't really seen from Jimmy G so far this season because he hasn't been asked to do it, in the positive for him, they ran this fourth and one uh, like QB rollout, but like back with a dive up the middle. I thought it was a really great play design. And we haven't seen Jimmy G really use his mobility all that much yet. And that could be another level of this offense to take it to the next level. Like I talked with Cust and Jeff about Brady last week, where it, it seems like the Patriots are using 50% of their playbook. Like they're saving all their good plays for January. And it seems like the Kyle Shanahan 49ers offense does have this like secret playbook that they can go to in a pinch. So I'm very curious to see if that ever gets broken out. Yeah, yeah. I thought I saw the exact same play that you're talking about with uh, Jimmy G just kind of diving forward. And then I also thought from the 49ers, something that was interesting, um, snap counts for Dante Pettis hit above 70%, the most for any wide receiver since week one, by far the most for him. And he's probably, I mean, they have talented players everywhere, but he's probably the one person that they really just haven't unleashed for whatever reason right now. Maybe we don't know exactly why, but if he continues to play 70 plus percent of the snaps, they're going to have a true just deep threat type play. And he's a guy who in the middle of the field was making impressive catches and when I was watching the game last week and also this week, I, I couldn't help but remember. I remember last week on the show, you said you were going to bet the 27-yard prep uh, prop or whatever, and then you had it. You had it, and then he just he fumbled it away, dropped it away, whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, I think Pettis is a big key to kind of this offense moving forward. It's an offense that has a ton of talent around it, and like you said, I mean, Shanahan in his corner, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why. Obviously, the defense is a huge part of it. But Shanahan's just saying, you know what? I'm not going to play three wide receivers 70%, 80% of the time. We have five guys here that all have talent, and we have mismatches. We're going to use them. Uh, So from the other side of the ball, the only real takeaway I had for the Rams is that uh, the quarterback is goffle. Like he is just horrendous. And it's not even that he's bad under pressure. We know he's bad under pressure, but even when they got him on the move and got him away from all this pressure, he was throwing like bounce passes. He was throwing the ball like 30 feet over people's heads, like, and trying to throw it to them. It was, it was a real, like, I would be very concerned if I was a Rams fan, put it that way. Yeah, if your coach is Sean McVay, no matter how good the defense is, you're going to get plays schemed open, like receivers at least schemed open to having a chance at a jump ball or just any type of pass that'll be a high percentage completion pass. Yeah, like you said, he's throwing into the dirt. Now, Goff, like the pluses on him last year was when he misses, he'll miss low, so it's not going to be a pick or anything that can get deflected. But now he's just missing very low, and it's it's like just skipping to every single pass that he's um, just missing on right now. But yeah, it seems like he's very timid in the pocket. We know that he's not great under pressure, but now it seems like it's just affecting him on every single play. The only other major takeaway that I took away from the Rams was um, he's finally got to see an extended look, I guess you can say, since the preseason of Daryl Henderson Jr., the rookie running back they drafted. Played only about like 30% of the snaps or so, um, but he definitely looked better than Malcolm Brown out there, at least from an explosiveness standpoint. That's why they drafted him. Uh, just has that explosive ability like they were hoping to continue to have out of Todd Gurley and really just be kind of a a change of pace back. So we'll see if that is anything moving forward. It seems like Todd Gurley 
uh, this this injury of his, it might actually limit him coming this week as well. Yeah, Malcolm Brown played 68% of the snaps against the Niners. Henderson played 32% of the snaps. And I agree with you. Henderson did look better in his limited work. Although it's funny, they were so effective running the ball with Malcolm Brown on the very first drive of the game. Goff didn't throw his first pass until two minutes left in the first quarter, which is kind of nuts to think about. But even the Robert Woods touchdown at the beginning was just a reverse. Uh, It's kind of a strange situation like if Gurley is healthy do you think that we do see more Henderson because I was shocked we didn't see him in the first place that it might just go back to being Gurley for most of the time if he's a bit banged up or if he's a bit hampered then they just go back to Malcolm Brown again I'm very confused about how this backfield might work going forward once Gurley returns yeah, I think if Gurley returns that he'll probably see the far majority of it. If he is indeed fully healthy, they give him the amount of time that needs to heal from this. But I mean, I'm somebody who was was pretty just involved during the preseason. And it, it seemed like Henderson was the guy that, that should have gotten uh, the job, at least the backup job over, over Malcolm Brown. I don't know if it's just something uh, that we're not seeing there, obviously not in the locker room, but just performance wise in preseason work. Henderson was looking fine. Um, he was looking explosive, exactly what they wanted. Everything out of camp was, was good sentiment. That's why he was being drafted in fantasy in like season longs, like six round feel bad for some of those people right now that that have to endure that but yeah it's a spot where I think Todd Gurley continues to um get the bulk of the workload but if got if like Gurley's out next week um like I already picked up or or have waivers in for a Daryl Henderson Jr. right now because I want to have a piece of that he we saw the explosiveness that he had and Malcolm Brown was on the first drive you said it yeah like seven eight nine yard runs but then after that he was just running into into a wall of uh, 49ers defenders couldn't make anybody miss uh question from the chat here who's in more trouble the Rams or the Cowboys strangely I actually think I think the Rams are a better team than the Cowboys and probably have the most upside moving forward. But I do think that the Rams are in the most trouble solely because they play in the NFC West and Seattle and the Niners are both kind of running away with it right now that they have to not only beat those teams to catch up, but hope that they come back to the pack a little bit, where at least in the NFC East, you know, the, the Cowboys are dealing with Philly and the Giants and like none of those teams are particularly great. They're all like kind of average to slightly above average. They all have massive deficiencies that I think Dallas can climb themselves out of their hole a whole lot easier than the Rams can. Yeah, I completely agree with that. that that's actually a really good point to look at it uh, as we like focus in fantasy, not really from the real life impact of playoffs, but that's a definitely a great point on it. But then also just from like the way that players are the, the key pieces that you need to play uh, for fantasy reasons, everybody's getting down on Zeke, but anytime he's touching the ball, he's highly effective. Dak has been highly effective. The Cowboys are ma- mainly just being limited from injuries. We saw Dak running for his life this whole past weekend, two offensive linemen out. We saw Amari Cooper go down. They saw two more defensive backs go down. Like they're dealing with a lot of injuries and need to get healthy in a division that you said it's just very winnable uh, right now. Whereas, yeah, it seems like your quarterback is your biggest concern right now, and that's not great. So for the Cowboys, Dak seems fine. Zeke seems fine. They just need to get healthier in an easy division. Uh, and yeah. Rams yeah. are definitely yeah well Dar- Darnold coming back really put some life at least into Robbie Anderson this Jets offense and Jamison Crowder uh, he has a really after the Patriots this week they have a really easy schedule coming up to a potential streamer I'd still prefer Josh Allen because he has like equally as an easy as in the schedule upcoming it's a Dolphins twice in the next four weeks plus he runs and he rushes in touchdowns he's just a better fantasy player so I prefer Josh Allen over safe space Sam but it's not like I thought that the Jets looked particularly great or anything the Cowboys just looked awful and, like it was the epitome of the game and the only note that I really have here besides like the injuries and everything like you brought up is the Cowboys ran a pitch to Ezekiel Elliott on third and 11 like what are they doing <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's not great I, I remember I saw somebody tweet something about like Tony Romo which is just ironic itself just taking a stab at 
Jason Garrett as something having a footprints over the offense right there. Yeah. I, I don't know what that play call is third and 11, a huge run like that, but it was actually good, at least in my opinion, to see Zeke that involved. Um, it was just, it was like a lack of weapons at some point when you have Cedric Wilson being the guy who needs to make your contested catches or, or yeah, it's just not great. Yeah. When, when you're running, when they cover Michael Gallup, it's like, Oh God, we have Cedric Wilson and Tavon Austin as our receivers. This isn't good. They couldn't even activate Devin Smith for a revenge game against the jets. And somehow the Cowboys still almost got back in that game and forced it to go to overtime. Like the settling for field goals when just go for it at some point, uh, this kind of happened in the Browns game against Seattle, uh, as well, where like, Sort of the main reasoning that they were, they ended up being fourth and one, uh, and they didn't end up getting it, although it seemed like they scored twice. I really wanted that Nick Chubb touchdown. But they end up pinning. They, they know they're getting immense pressure on Seattle. The offensive line isn't really holding up. Russ is just doing his magic ability to elude defenders. But the Cleveland defensive line is just generating a ton of pressure in the backfield. What's really the downside? I mean, there's the downside of not getting the three points, but pinning Seattle on their own one yard line. They do that. They end up tipping the punt and just getting the ball back on the, on the Seattle 25. Then they can come down and they can try to score. Like eventually you have to trust your defense to make a stop and put them in the worst position possible. Like with the jets offense. Yeah. They had the one big hitch and go to Robbie Anderson, the longest play of the year, but you presume that's not going to happen every time you have them on their own six yard line. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think kind of the way that they're looking at it there is, is weighing the options. And I think that's just coaching and personnel is like a big decision part of that, but it is interesting to think about like how that game goes a little bit differently. If some of those decisions are made, Uh, it's just so tough though. Like I do think, and and I just, I have like people that I'm seeing just on Twitter in terms of friends and stuff saying uh, injuries and all that. I do think this was like one of the most injury riddled games that I've seen for a team. Uh, just three defensive backs going down and four members of your offense. It, it was just really tough. But yeah, I do agree. I think I think another piece of this game that was just um, like I was looking at it on my phone and I saw a 62 yard field goal attempt was made. And I was like, my eyes just lit up like that's insane. <laughs> hey, sometimes, hey, if you trust your kicker, you can do it from anywhere. Sometimes having that much faith in your kicker is actually detrimental to your offense when you should be going for it instead of settling for a 62 yard field goal. Yeah, it's like it's like you can just trust anything's going to get banked in at that point. You're going to be going on fourth and inches. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, Arizona and Atlanta, the main notes that I had from this one uh, is that Patrick Peterson is eligible to return this week. Um, and uh, with Atlanta, Grady Jarrett, every time that anyone tries to run the ball, like Atlanta's defense is horrible, Grady Jarrett is stopping everything in the run it just it's something that you don't really notice until you kind of key down and try to watch like why isn't david johnson getting a ton done on the ground in this game he watched like grady jared tackle grady jared tackle he's like i mean he's not as good as indomitian sue was at one point but he's just like absorbing the entire run game it's kind of crazy to see uh cincinnati game was just auden tate is good in traffic like you throw him a contested ball and he is grabbing it snatching it out of the air what do you think his role is going to be once AJ Green returns, because I don't really know what it will be. Yeah, well, what what I think his role is going to be pretty much is probably just another uh, prime. It depends on what John Ross is. It depends on what AJ Green. I really don't have faith in AJ Green coming back anytime soon. There's also contract issues that he has to come back from. He probably wants to make that linger a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it will be when you have John Ross healthy and you have AJ Green healthy. It's probably just getting bumped back down to a wide receiver four unless he continues to make what was it there was like four or five eye-popping contested catches for him 
uh, in this game. And right now, at least he's probably their best red zone target. So if anything, if he gets bumped down to a wide receiver four, he'll probably be heavily used in the red zone because he's just taking away Eifert's role right now. Yeah, and Eifert just looks like a shell of his former self. Uh, what other notes do I have here? Oh, more Arizona stuff. Uh, in, you know, you, we think about the air raid uh, and how many snaps a lot of these receivers were playing. Like, even with Bird back, no Christian Kirk still, but, like, Keyshawn Johnson played the most snaps of any receiver on the Cardinals. It was at 81%, then it was Fitz, and then it was Bird and Sherfield. But we're usually seeing those guys at, like, all at 80% plus, yet... They ended up uh, in a very effective game for Kyler Murray, playing a lot of two tight end sets and a lot of two running back sets, which I thought was really surprising. So I guess Max Williams and Charles Clay are now integral parts of this offense. But this is one of the hardest things that I had to do this week because I always like trying to find the other Arizona receiver to play while Christian Kirk was sitting. And I finally don't do it this week. And both Sherfield and Bird actually have like decent catches in the game. Not good enough to like actually propel you. Although Demir Bird appeared in that second place lineup on DraftKings. But do we just want Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Edmonds, David Johnson, those are the Cardinals that you want to have around Kyler Murray and just not worry about these other guys? Like how many times can I hear how great Keyshawn Johnson is until he just does nothing again. You're like, oh, well, I, I shouldn't be playing this guy. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like up until this week, and like my one note for Arizona was that Kyler actually tested the ball downfield a little bit more. But up until this week, you didn't see that. And you saw it, what, like three times in this game. So just the upside of those wide receivers on the outside, they're not going to have as many opportunities to go deep. So if you're getting less talented receivers on the outside, catching the same passes as more talented players like Kirk and more experienced and red zone bodies like Larry Fitzgerald, it's exactly what it is. It's Fitz. It's 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 probably for me in, in the order of David Johnson, Kirk, and then Fitz in my interests. And I'm sure we'll talk about Edmonds when we get to more of the waiver stuff. Yeah, that you never really know how much Edmonds is going to play, but we will talk about him in waiver wire running back pickups. Two more notes just from the games. Why not more Miles Sanders against the Vikings? Just yeah, I, was this this was I think I looked at the snap counts, the one that you were posting. It's in like the twenty percent, right? He just gets less and less. And they said that they wanted to give Jordan Howard more of the workload, which was a little bit mind boggling to me. But yeah, you saw he had the two big catches, and he's been elusive. I mean, I watched him in person at Penn State, extremely elusive. He he fits the mold of sort of a Saquon Barkley can make your first man miss, especially in the passing game. That was some of his downsides was short passing in terms of uh, being able to catch those balls coming out of the. Uh, the combine and the draft but in terms of down the field passing wheel routes things like that he's highly effective and then on the ground it, it's just eye-popping to see like a boston scott being closer to the snaps that he had in, 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 compared to jordan howard yeah you can find the entire week six running back snap shares up on my instagram feed right now at the pme leave your uh, DraftKings handle in the comment section after giving that a like and following me on instagram you too We'll be in a draw for 20 DK bucks. Tons of ways to go do this, just so you know. But yeah, Jordan Howard, 63% of the snaps. Miles Sanders, 29% of the snaps. Scott, 6% of the snaps. Corey Clement was placed on IR. There was no Darren Sproles with a quad injury in this game. I really thought, like, I bet the over on Miles Sanders' catches, and I thought that was just going to be a certain lock uh, at two and a half. And he ended up with three. He hit that prop, but he hit that really early, and then they just stopped going to him. They were down this entire game. I guess if they were up by 20 or if the, if the roles were reversed and they had the lead that Minnesota had, then I would understand Jordan Howard 65%, 70% of the time. But if you're actively passing and you know you have to pass and you're trying to play hurry up, I don't understand why Miles Sanders isn't on the field here. 
Yeah, and, and it's not even, like all the injuries are like the obvious reason why, right? Sproles and Clement, more pass catching backs that can get on the field there. But since Deshaun Jackson went out and then when Alshon was injured earlier in the year, they were using Sanders more in the passing game and he was getting his snaps directly uh, bumped up because of that. He was being used in the slot. He was being used uh, just coming out of the backfield. So in the one game where it seems like you need him the most still, no Deshaun Jackson down the field, all these backs out, it is it is kind of mind boggling. And I'm sure that's something that they're going to kind of take and go with moving forward. Why, why, why was he only in the field 25? percent of the time or so uh last note that i have from the game from the carolina tampa bay game which was just kind of hilarious to watch but shaq barrett through four weeks was probably the defensive player of the year in football uh, and he's been pretty mediocre the last two weeks now tampa's run defense is still quite stout but i think the teams are actually accounting for him now instead of just being like shaq barrett he's no good and then like they, they watch the game feels like he's the best player in this game by far uh he is just generating so much pressure for this defense and he's really been kept to the side the past two weeks so i don't know if it was a flash in the pan for him and now teams are hip to what he's up to uh, or it was just a bad two games that's going to be really hard to judge yeah i think coming into week five he was dealing with they, they officially listened to him as questionable but he was like always expected to play in week five um but he was nicked up a little bit so maybe that has something to do with it if he's dealing with that but yeah i assume after he's up there in the league leader of sacks through four weeks or so that you game script around him a little bit it's really tough though because that whole defensive line is just stout so we'll see if he continues to maybe just had a, a hot start and, and now he can kind of settle down and have a, a high quality year instead of a a just record-breaking year uh let's go to the power five teams in football right now i got it as new england still number one san francisco number two new orleans number three seattle number four and although green bay plays tonight i'm going to pencil them in at number five right now but i think green bay is closer to the teams that are on the outside looking at like kansas city gotta bump them down a bit houston buffalo indy detroit and that's really is are there other teams like are dallas and philadelphia maybe minnesota a part of this conversation yeah, I, I would say Minnesota. So the top five is the exact same thing that I have here. Then I have KC. Um, and then I have Carolina and Minnesota as other teams in my top 10 that I'm not sure exactly what to do with them, but I think they kind of push the top 10. And yeah, I'm high, I'm high on the Bills. I still have them coming off the bye right now. I have the Bills at number 11, the Texans at number 10. Um, and then I actually have Vikings at, or Panthers at seven, Vikings at eight, Ravens at nine. The problem with the Vikings is that they've just been, I guess the Eagles are a good team, is that they're good at home, um, but they're really poor against good teams outdoors on the road. And if they're not going to pile enough wins to play at home, like I can just see them dropping, even against like average teams on the road, that if the game script doesn't go perfectly for them, they seem to be in a world of trouble immediately. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the biggest thing is obviously just Kirk Cousins' ability to handle pressure and be effective. And he had the easiest matchup, sort of a cupcake matchup to do that this past weekend with the Eagles secondary. But it's good that he was able to take advantage of it. Uh, and just seeing that that defense for Minnesota, probably their best performance of the year, at least in the first half of that game, something to take from. Um, but yeah, it's a team that right now is sort of a fringy top 10 play for me. But yeah, the top five, I would say the same for me. And I do agree with uh, being a Packers fan myself, maybe a little bit more critical. I do agree that they're probably right there at that five spot, deservingly so. We'll see what happens tonight. But a team that I think there's a lot of just stench being just hidden up right now, especially last week, because Aaron Jones has been highly effective on the ground. And really just this pass rush, I think it's going to have to at least fall off a little bit. It's sort of exceeding expectations, in my opinion. Let's talk about the week 
seven. Jeez, week seven. It's flying by. Waiver wire at running back. We'll start off with the injuries. Uh, first, Todd Gurley with his thigh obviously did not play. He's questionable for week seven. James Conner hurt his quad at the end of Sunday night football, didn't return, but Pittsburgh is on bye this week, hence why Benny Snell isn't quite as high up in the waiver wire rankings as maybe people would expect him to be. Then we have Rashad Penny. He missed week six, questionable for week seven. Devin Singletary was on bye for the Bills, expected to make his return against the Dolphins this week. Chris Thompson and his foot exited the game. He's questionable for week seven. Corey Clement was placed on IR. Jalen Samuels out probably at least another two weeks, maybe more. Wayne Gallman should return from his concussion this week. They cut Jonathan Hilleman after the Thursday night game. It's been a mini buy for them. Uh, Saquon Barkley could play. Not quite sure if he will make his return in week seven, but at least it's on the table. We'll monitor him throughout the week. Rex Burkhead and Justin Jackson both missed week six as well. I'd expect Burkhead back. He seemed to be close to playing Thursday night. Again, they get the mini by plus. I believe they play on Monday night this week. That's a Monday night game, right? Jets and Patriots. Yes. Yep. All right. So the actual waiver wire pickups then from the week. Where did I go with this nonsense here? I had it up on my screen. Anyway, Chase Edmonds is number one. Put it that way. Uh, I wouldn't go busting the bank on him. You probably could have got him for relatively little last weekend. So you have that. Latavius Murray at number two uh, with Kamara dealing with a knee and ankle injury. It just looks like it's going to be more Latavius Murray in the mix. Obviously not a go-to guy to go get. Malcolm Brown, Gus Edwards, Ito Smith, all handcuffs that you probably want to own and guys that still contribute on a weekly basis just a little bit. Mark Walton, Benny Snell, Rashad Penny, Chris Thompson, and Raheem Mostart. Colonel Mostart, is there anyone else you would throw into that mix as potential pickups this week? Because no one's really leaping out to me. Yeah, no one other than just more handcuffs. Like an Alexander Madison would probably be one of the just best running back spots if anything ever happens to Cook. And then maybe a Daryl Henderson Jr. if you're in a deeper league and are looking for what could potentially be closer to a 60-40, 50-50 split if Gurley misses again. But yeah, you hit on all of them. Edmonds is probably the best play that if he's on your waivers and you just have a spot and you want to dump your, your fifth string wide receiver, he's a, he's a nice add to stash. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Alexander Madison. I think, uh, what the hell is his name now? Uh Space in here on a Monday morning, Sal. Just it's just going over my head. Uh, Raquel Armstead on the Jags. Uh, if anything was to happen to Leonard Fournette, it looks like he would assume most of that role. And Reggie Bonnetown, if anything, God forbid, happens to number one player Christian McCaffrey, that he would be in line to do a lot. How do you think that would work out? Assuming that Kyle Allen continues to start, at least until Cam is completely healthy, and maybe even then, because they haven't made a decision on whether or not Cam will come back and assume his starting duty, I would think that he would but hey as long as Kyle Allen continues to win he'll probably end up being the quarterback but it does seem like Christian McCaffrey is doing a lot of this himself that if it was anyone else maybe they wouldn't be so successful yeah I completely agree I actually from the Panthers game I wrote notes that I know that Kyle Allen played well in the Arizona game and a lot of that's just because of the up tempo and then also Arizona secondary and defense in general is terrible but I thought that was the best game out of Kyle Allen. And it makes more sense that he's going to seem more comfortable as the weeks go on. But I thought he showed a lot more pocket presence, comfortability in the pocket, and just also throwing the ball deep and actually having some accuracy behind it. Uh, he had like a 99-yard drive in the first quarter, I believe. And it was pretty impressive, some of the throws that he was making. But I do 100% agree that um, this is a lot on just Christian McCaffrey's shoulders right now. And when teams have been able to kind of stop him, the Bucks for three out of four quarters, miraculously, that defense has been fantastic. Uh, we've seen some of the holes that this offense has 
Um, but yeah, I think that this is Cam Newton's job when he comes back. Kyle Allen has been improving. Maybe if he just starts to light it up these next, what, one, two weeks that he's going to be playing, there's more of a, a talk behind that. But I do think that overall the wins have been kind of on the back of this defense and Christian McCaffrey and not so much Kyle Allen. It's just Kyle Allen not making mistakes. Then that's what we talked about as it's reflected in the MVP odds right now. That's why Christian McCaffrey is up there uh, because so much is falling on his shoulders to move this offense. And with defenses focusing solely on him, he's still able to overcome that. Then you get your DJ Moores and Curtis Samuels of the world. They just have easier tasks because no one's really paying attention. At this point, I will say that if Devin Singletary is available on your waiver wire, I would have him number one over Chase Edmonds. Yeah, I agree with that. He's the person that can make just the biggest splash right now. Mark Walton was kind of interesting, but at the end of the day, didn't play anywhere near enough snaps to be a priority. But he started the game 11 touches, 75 yards, but it ended up being Drake, as expected, seeing far majority of the snaps in that one. But I agree that Singletary, unless we hear something on James Conner being just um, a really scary injury, then uh, it's, it's probably just Singletary at the top of that. Yeah, if somehow Connor is out weeks, then Benny Snell becomes number one with Jalen Samuels out. But it doesn't like going on a bye. We're not going to hear too much information. And early reports is that it wasn't super serious, and having the bye should be enough to get James Connor back because James Connor looked incredible on Sunday night with the Chargers defense knowing what was coming every single time. The ability for him to get some really hard yards and his just work in the passing game was a lot more than I thought it would be. Yeah, and I, I was kind of waiting for more of that even just last year because when he was using the passing game, he was effective and efficient. He just was never used in a bulk capacity. And the first two or three weeks of the season, he wasn't being used at all. And then we know the game last week, they just pretty much schemed 17 to 30 passes to the running backs, and you see it carry over. So I think that that's something they're going to prioritize. I mean, we know that this running back scheme is really good in Pittsburgh. You look back to Le'Veon Bell days. Uh, so I want to see that more moving forward for Connor because, yeah, he's been fantastic at – not only getting open in space when he's coming out of the backfield, but just making that first man miss. And we're seeing a bit of a burst out of Connor that we really haven't seen, at least from last year, that I haven't seen when he's in when he gets the ball in his hands in open space. Yeah, he's looking more like he did in the first few weeks of last year, but he, he ended up getting hurt towards the end of last year. And even this season, he's been dealing with just myriad injuries that have been piling up. So maybe he was close to 100% health, then he gets hurt again. Maybe there's just something we're going to have to deal with with James Conner. But effective for fantasy purposes, which is exactly what we want. That Miami situation, Drake played 61% of the snaps and probably intentionally dropped that pass on the two-point play at the end uh, just so the Dolphins could continue to lose. Walton played 42% of the snaps, and Balage played five. Uh, Balage obviously scores the touchdown because, hey, when you play 5% of the snaps, you've got to be the guy to score the touchdown. But Walton's usage in the passing game, because this passing game sucks so much, if you play in like a deeper PPR league, I could see running him out there as a flex during these bye weeks or if you had to put up with injuries as someone who could potentially squeak you like 10 points. Yeah, and and also, like, this is a little bit out there of a reach, maybe, but if indeed that week two they came out after they made the trade or they were about to make the trade with Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers, they pretty much came out and reports came out that Kenyon Drake would be the next one up and somebody that they are actively just looking to shop if there's somebody who answers the phone. So it seems like Mark Walton would be the guy to get more of the workload just based off of this week and his skill set than Balaj. if indeed there was a, like, a JGI, just middle-of-the-season trade that you don't see coming and Kenyon Drake gets shipped out of there, Mark Walton becomes a viable, more than viable back to have in your roster. The issue is it's still the Dolphins' offense. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that- you're going to yeah, be dealing with 16 and 17 point totals and a lot of stalled drives. I was actually very uh, – I, I, was, I was kind of surprised to see Josh Rosen get pulled from that game. He was doing nothing, but just surprised after, like, 
maybe 24 hours after 48 hours after the, the owner and the head coach come out and say, Josh Rosen's our guy. It was, it was strange, but Hey, they almost won the games. So good on them. Wide receivers injuries. I got Josh Gordon. Uh, he's going to be questionable for week seven after leaving, leaving Thursday night with that knee issue. Saturday will be the big practice for him. I think Philip Dorsett also sat. He should return this week. Emmanuel Sanders left the game on Sunday against the Titans, but he's expected to play Thursday night against the Chiefs, as is Sammy Watkins. He's trending towards returning Thursday night as well. He missed week six with his injury, so no more By- Byron Pringle. He can go back and live off his chip money instead of actually like disappointing me in DraftKings lineups. Marquise Lee. Exited the game uh, in week seven. He's questionable or week six questionable for week seven. Amari Cooper in his quad injury. I don't know if he's going to play this week against the Eagles. Yeah, no, the, the initial reports from Mike Florio of uh, Pro Football Talk uh, pretty much said that it's it's a really – so what it is, is it's not long-term in terms of an injury of it. It's just extremely, extremely painful uh, to the point where even medicine is going to make it something that's just pain tolerance. And it seems like, yeah, it's trending that he might miss a, a week or two and it's just something that it, it, they, I think there was like a quad bruise or something, but it's that painful. It doesn't sound as bad as it actually is, but I uh, kept him out the entire game with a helmet on on the sidelines. We saw T.Y. Hilton deal with a, sort of a similar type of injury a few weeks ago, and he ended up missing the game. Like He came close to playing, and then he ended up not. So Cooper could play this week. I would still say he's probably like 70-30 to sit. Yeah, I, I would say somewhere right around there as well. It seems like exactly what that is, is you lean more towards doubtful than actually probable. Yeah, and that is that is the Sunday night game next week, too. So uh, if you're banking on Amari Cooper, it might be a bit tough because you might not know that information if he remains a game-time decision. Hopefully this is cleared up by Friday, and they're like, oh, he's practiced the last two days, he's fine, or he's out. Make other plans that you don't want to have to be waiting on Amari Cooper, who tends to kill it at home and gets the Eagles secondary, who I hear, not very good. Uh, at least that's uh, what the game tape and stats would say uh, going into it. So uh, have and that like overall impacts Dak as well. I mean, how much is he going to be used in the passing game? I don't know. So it's going to be curious to see more more injuries, though. We have Marquise Brown sat. Uh, he could be back next week. Sterling Shepard, we need to watch practice. Nikhil Harry for the Patriots. He hasn't played yet this season. He's eligible to return in week nine, but he has begun practicing. Do you think he's someone to actually stash? Because the way that you have to look at it is, and maybe it depends on the Gordon injury, that if DeSort, Dorsett returns this week, he's going to end up being a starter with Edelman. Even if there's no Gordon, then you have Jacoby Myers. Do you think Harry can do enough? I know he's a first-round pick, but to if Myers... Dorsett and Gordon are all healthy. Does he even see the field? Yeah, that, that's the thing. I don't think he sees like much of the field unless there is an injury or Dorsett continues to be hobbled. There's just so many guys on the outside um, that I don't think he'll be kind of just jumping over Philip Dorsett. They did have a lot of faith in him and in the preseason and in camp, there's just so much good sentiment coming out about him. But I don't think he's going to make an impact at least for fantasy playoffs or anything like that. What I would say is if you can just pick him up and it doesn't burn your waiver priority or, or cost any money for you, then pick him up because this is the most hype you might have around him and throw him in as like an extra piece of a trade deal if it makes somebody more who's more interested in getting him uh, kind of close that deal. Yeah, you know, if you play in a league with Patriots fans, then pick him up and yep. trade him for like, I don't know, Le'Veon Bell because he had a down game. Like, oh, man, Nikhil Harry's so good. We picked him in the first round. He's on the Patriots. He's so good. I play in leagues with people like this. They're morons, so you can probably pull off this trade somehow. Uh, the other guys that missed the game this week, we had Christian Kirk, Kenny Stills, Brashad Perriman. Tyrell Williams was on bye, but he had missed the week before in London. Devonta Adams not expected to play on Monday night. In fact, he has been ruled out, so he's going to miss week six. 
Taylor Gabriel on by, but he had missed with a concussion the week before. Deshaun Jackson, Paris Gambul, not spotted at practice on Monday. They're coming off a bye week, but he did not play just before the bye. And A.J. Green has yet to play this season. I would say that Kirk, Stills, and Adams and Gabriel probably all have a good chance of playing in Week 7. Not really sure about Tyrell Williams, though, just solely because they went and they traded for Zay Jones uh, to get themselves another receiver. Traveled with the team to London, then didn't end up playing. Like, we're going to have to see practice reports before we have any idea about his status. But he has caught a touchdown in every game that he's played. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that out of those names, those names sound good. I think the one that I'm concerned about is actually Devontae Adams. Um, just He didn't even step on the, the practice field this week. And, like, originally the sentiment came out that, oh, it's it's fine. It's nothing bad. It's not as major as we thought. Surgery is not needed on this turf toe. But for the most part, turf toe lingers, like, an entire, really, season for most uh, players and, and it'll at least knock you out for a month or so so I do think that there is some concerns that Adams might miss one to two more weeks only because he, he hasn't even been able to step onto the field and out of some of the things that videotapes after practice or anything like that he just said that he's just trying to get his shoes on and feel comfortable doing that right now so for the pickups at the waiver wire I think this is the juiciest part of the waiver wire this week uh, just like last week I have Robbie Anderson at number one he is not above the 60 percent threshold which I find kind of shocking Uh, The Jets' schedule opens up a lot here and gets quite easy down the stretch. So Robbie Anderson, number one. Ditto with the Bills. I got John Brown at number two. I think those two alone are by far the best two pickups. If you needed a receiver, I'd burn the number one waiver priority on them here unless you're really waiting out for a running back injury and someone to go get. But all the guys that we talked about who would benefit the most from an injury, you probably have at least one of them as a handcuff on your team right now. The Armsteads, the Madisons, those type of guys. Then I have Auden Tate, Jamison Cratter, Philip Dorsett, and Jacoby Myers. Uh, Dorsett will probably play. Myers might end up playing uh, if if Josh Gordon ends up sitting. So both those guys against the Jets I think are capable options then Devontae Parker Darius Slayton Sanu Deontay Johnson going on to buy not sure the status of James Washington uh coming out of the buy but he's still dealing with his shoulder injury and I don't know about this offense in general but I think it's those two guys Tate and Crowder Dorsett and Myers are all playable this week and then it's just you know if you're in a deeper league and you need some bench padding I have Zay Jones way down on this list Duke Williams you know Albert Wilson those type of guys but they're not priority ads yeah, not priority ads. I agree completely with the guys on the top of that list. Um, I'm not sure where Dante Pettis's like percentage is if he's over 60% owned he's now not, or not, but he's so not. I, I, I think I would like Dante Pettis. The obvious concern there is that just wide receivers in general aren't getting a ton of the market share, but slowly we've seen Pettis's snaps come back up to where they were last year when he was just going nuclear. Uh, that said, though, 72% of the snaps is good. It's just Kittle's the guy getting 30% of the, the, the volume out there in terms of the market share targets, and then everything else is split up between five guys. But if you are in some of that mid to deeper range, I think Pettis is good uh, to kind of just stash on your bench for a week or two and see if he can continue this trend of seeing more field time and, and more targets. And then if you do have Amari and you need like that late Sunday night ad or not, I'm not sure where it goes because Cobb should be back. So then I don't know if they push Tavon Austin to the outside and Cedric Wilson becomes nothing. I don't know if they activate Devin Smith. So it's it's really just watch the transactions that Dallas does and that'll kind of tell you how Amari is trending. Yeah, just play Michael Gallup. That That's the move. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, play Play the number one right there. Yeah, so at tight end in terms of injury, Evan Ingram missed the week. He's going to try to play with his knee sprain in week seven. Chris Herndon uh, pulled his hamstring in practice after getting lifted from the suspension list. He's questionable for week seven. Uh, Will Disley, the big one, looks like he tore his Achilles. He's probably going to be done for the season. Luke, 2L Luke Wilson, 
or to to L in Wilson, Luke Wilson, not the actor, is now going to be the starting tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. They traded Nick Vinette to the Steelers, who the Steelers barely even use. Josh Oliver missed the week with his hamstring, which is notable that he could come back because Jeff Swaim got absolutely laid out against the Saints. Like he was basically unconscious on the field. So down O'Shaughnessy, down Swaim. Uh, Josh Oliver had some hype coming into the season. Uh, if he can get himself back to even like 80% health, he could be on the field this week. Uh, Jordan Reed placed on IR finally. Uh, Vernon Davis missed the week again with a concussion. So things to watch out for. Tight end, not really much a Bruin. It's Herndon. If you need someone to go pick up right now, uh, he'll eventually be back. I have Darren Fells at number two, who continues to play a larger share of snaps every single week with the Texans, and he does seem to be the primary pass catcher over Aikens. And one of the favorite targets right now is they've really shifted around their offense to make Will Fuller a centerpiece using DeAndre Hopkins and basically the Kiki Cutie role, these short passes. Uh, But it seems to be throwing the opposition off depending on how they'd run this offense uh so everett hawkinson luke wilson eric ebron jack doyle jimmy graham but herndon and fells are the two guys i think you want to go after yeah herndon and fells are the guys that stand out if there's if there's some reason in the world somebody dropped hunter henry uh because of his injury go and get him as well but i imagine he's not available in many spots but uh, luke wilson i actually do think is worth it at, at a position that at tight end this year has just been so garbage if you don't have like the top six or seven guys um, Luke Wilson is a guy that Seattle actually unlimited snaps this year, but they scheme for like Luke Wilson is more so than not put on the outside as a wide receiver than he is on the line as a blocker. Like he's, he's, he's not a great blocking tight end. Um, so I expect we saw him play like close to 70% of the snaps this week because of that Disley injury. I would expect him to be schemed for just like Disley was. We saw Disley playing close to 90% of the snaps uh, once they traded away Nick Bennett to the Steelers. So I actually do like Luke Wilson. I have a one waiver in for Luke Wilson right now. Do you know who the top 10 fantasy tight ends are this season? Oh, my God. In order, I, I, I have You don't no need to go in order. We'll, we'll play it like Stump the Schwab style where you, 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 have, you have a bank. There's 10 guys. If you hit the name, I'll tell you where they are. Let's do it. Let's go with Travis Kelsey. Number three. Zach Ertz. Number five. Austin Hooper. Number one. Darren Waller. Number seven. Uh, Darren Fells. Darren Fells, no, not on that list. He is number 13. Not. Oh, I thought he would be in there with all those touchdowns. Um, wow, I thought it, yeah, I thought he would be in there with all those touchdowns. I know like the the bottom of this is just going to end up being just like just backup tight ends right now. So George Kittle definitely has to be up there. Yeah, George Kittle is number eight. Mark Andrews. Number two. Hmm. Will Disley probably up there. Will Disley, number six. Evan Ingram, who didn't play last week, is number four. Greg Olson, number nine. Jason Witten, number 10. Delaney Walker, Gerald Everett, Fells, Jordan Atkins, James O'Shaughnessy. And then it's Hunter Henry. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that that, I was going to I was actually going to I know he was out for so many weeks, but I was going to say Hunter Henry might be like a top 15 tight end just from that one week alone the one week would actually if he just had last night's game that would make him tight end number 26 for the season yeah that's crazy that's how bad the position is so like anytime a a guy who in Disley being a top 10 tight end to that point in the season anytime a guy just goes out at all um picking up the back of it is probably at least a decent move because the guy that you most likely have it's if it's not one of those top what six seven guys it's probably not doing much for you this year like I'm stuck with OJ Howard in a couple of leagues and it's terrible 
Uh, let's go to quarterback streams for week seven. I got four that I think that you can run through your lineups. Uh, number one, I actually have Daniel Jones at home against Arizona. This is going to be a high-paced game. I know Patrick Peterson is back, but it looks like – and this is kind of contingent on Shepard coming back and not necessarily Barkley, but at least Gallman coming back, Evan Ingram playing. If not, I'd move him down. But I'm going to anticipate those guys playing minus Barkley for the moment in a great matchup with a high-paced game. Josh Allen, number two against Miami. Got to like that. Minshew at Cincinnati and then Brissett at home versus Houston. Uh most of the other streamable guys just don't have good matchups this week. And frankly, that's a problem because I have Jameis on a bunch of teams who, you know, six turnovers seems bad, but not when you score 20 fantasy points anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that was just a, a brutal performance. I, I think that the list that you said for the streaming QBs is good. I, the way that I have it, I just put five guys just to have a top five. I have Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, Minshew, Brissett, and then I put Joe Flacco to fill out a fifth, but you probably don't even need to get there. I, um, I, I actually don't like Joe Flacco. He could end up throwing three touchdowns and, you know, get to his value pretty quickly. But just Kansas City is so beat up right now, and their run defense is so bad that I just anticipate this being a game a lot like Sunday, where if the Broncos are going to have a chance in this game, and they should be able to generate pressure because everyone on the offensive line for Kansas City is beat up. Uh, obviously Mahomes might have high ankle sprain at this point like he's not moving around well he can't plant properly it's affecting his throws that this game could be a little bit closer if you get Mahomes on the move and the only way to really beat if you're a team who can't score in bunches like Houston and you're Denver the only way to really make this a game is to shorten it as much as possible and run Royce Freeman and run Philip Lindsay like 500 times so I don't know how much Flacco is going to do it's almost like a Marcus Mariota type of situation who I guess we should talk about this he got bench i don't know if he's gonna play or not next week but flacco could end up with one of those like three touchdown games for like 124 yards i just expect them to be running the entire time yeah i agree they, they were like pretty much right there in terms of how many rushing attempts last week compared to what like 28 flacco attempts and i think they had 26 running back carries on the ground yeah i think that's a great point actually because you did have this kansas city team now is dropping to the worst in the league from being second worst in the league coming into last week at defending the run, and they do have two defensive linemen. Xavier Williams done for the year. Chris Jones, who they rely on more for pressure, uh, but he missed last week, and it doesn't seem like his timetable is is a, a week away or at least for a short week to come back. So, yeah, Flacco mainly just filling out a, a top five there. But you're right, the ground game, and also from Denver, like Philip Lindsay has just been absolutely fantastic on a per-touch basis. I, I don't know why, and last week still doesn't see over 50% of the snaps. I think they have to start getting him the ball more. Maybe it's just a durability issue, but – uh, from what I've seen, every time the guy touches the ball, it's it's a big to at least a positive play compared to Royce Freeman, where it's it's one out of every five, six, seven touches is something that's uh, catches your eye. Defenses you can pick up off the waiver wire for week seven. Did you know that the San Francisco 49ers defense was dropped basically on mass? last week so they're below the threshold and now they get washington uh yes it is in washington but you know i'll still take the 49ers in this spot they're far and away the best defense hopefully in a competitive league they're not available actually hopefully for the viewers sake that they are available then you can go pick them up if not the chiefs at number two at denver on thursday night the giants uh, against arizona they still generate you know middling pressure that kyler will take some sacks especially outdoors uh, the Lions and the Seahawks. Again, almost like quarterback, not a great week for streaming defenses. Generally, the good defenses that people own all have sort of smash matchups this week. Yeah, it's just San Francisco at the top of that. I'm not too sure where I assume people based off of maybe just name value still own Jacksonville against the Bengals. They do um, above that. Yeah, above that threshold, because there's not much like all the all the really good defenses like Buffalo going to be facing Miami. 
Um, maybe Green Bay because they generate pressure, but I imagine they're above that threshold versus Oakland. It's just a, a lot of bad defenses down there. But I, I'm surprised the 49ers drop that much. Um, maybe teams and just people in general are starting to realize how good they are right now. They are, but for whatever reason, people were terrified of the Rams last week, despite two offensive line injuries in San Francisco basically having a top three pass rush in the league. They were just like, nope, not doing it, and didn't even hold on to them, knowing they have Washington the following week, and they were just like, yeah, screw this, I'll go pick someone else up. Yeah, that's the thing. It was just short-term thinking there. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, whoever is going to reap the benefits of that, go and get your defense for the week, but for the most part, you're probably just streaming them. Yeah, let's talk about the Monday night game then. Uh, We can talk about showdown plays, or we can even talk about some of the prop betting here. Uh, Right now, as it stands, the Lions at the Packers. The Packers are three-and-a-half-point favorites. The game total is 45-and-a-half. Do you have a lean in this game? Uh, I'm going with the Packers. That was my pick on the pick show. I do think they can win this, but this opened at six. It's down to three-and-a-half. You would expect the Packers being such a public team that all the money is coming onto them, but it's like 50-50, and it was on the Lions a lot earlier in the week it seemed like a lot of people really jumped at that five and a half number that stayed there for a bit and then it's continuously dropped all throughout the week that people really liking this Lions team we haven't seen this Lions team play in a bit uh so you know fresh in our minds but I think this is the sort of team that the Packers can handle uh pretty easily because not not necessarily easily Detroit can definitely win this game but the Packers are so good defensively uh that I think it's going to be more of a stretch to think that the Lions move the ball particularly well against the Packers yeah so just from the jump I I probably lean Green Bay here especially because of that line movement and now I think it's actually favorable um even more of a lean in general for the game I actually like the under I have a bet in on the under right now it came down I think a point from open but last I saw it's like you can get it at 46 some places 45 and a half um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think this Packers secondary, they have the size at cornerback, especially with Kevin King to match up with the size on the outside for Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. Uh, and I think the biggest piece for Detroit really um, is one, seeing if TJ Hawkinson expected to play, but actually does suit up there. I think they have a slight advantage there against Packers linebackers. But then the biggest piece is just carry on Johnson. If he's going to continue to play three quarters of the snap, 75%, uh, his matchup against the Packers run defense, um, which when it has been targeted, has been vulnerable. Even last week, Ezekiel Elliott doesn't touch the ball a lot because they're down by so much, but he had 12 carries at 1.4, over 60 yards. So on a per-touch basis, they're just getting gashed. Well, one of the big things, too, especially as it pertains to Aaron Jones, like not having Devontae Adams is clearly going to impact the passing game for the Packers. But no Mike Daniels on the Lions' offensive line. And like he is their primary run stopper. Uh, and it would have, been, would have been a revenge game for him as well. But I think that really benefits Aaron Jones and the ability for the Packers to extend some of these drives and milk a lot of time on the clock. So I do think that actually helps your undertake as well. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, a, that's actually a big piece of it. Mike Daniels, when he was on the Packers, paired with uh, Kenny Clark. They were the two best run stoppers on that team. They still have Snacks Harrison for Detroit up front, but Mike Daniels is just a huge piece that they're going to miss doubtful for this game and a return back to Lambeau so it does help Aaron Jones Jamal Williams is trending towards playing um so just in general the Packers without Devontae Adams like their number their number for this game their number one two and three receivers I would argue are probably the worst in the league with MVS being more of a deep threat than a chain mover Geronimo Allison just when they're putting Geronimo Allison in the slot he's a lengthy receiver in the slot that it just does not work out he's been terrible in the slot at getting uh, separation and then Jay Kumro on the other hash played uh, nearly 70% of the snaps last week. He's been great in the preseason, but he's just been never able uh, to get separation against just 
tier one cornerbacks or at least starting cornerback play instead of third stringers from the preseason. So when that's what they're working with, I think it's just coming down to a lot more scheming Aaron Jones into the passing game to have a weapon there. And then I think you probably see a little bit more Jimmy Graham this week, if indeed it is a a, a pass friendly or, or a neutral game script instead of the Packers just being up by three touchdowns and not having to rely on it. So like earlier I mentioned, it was, it was some stench that they might have been covering up last week because Aaron Jones was just that good and the defense was causing short fields. But if they're in a game where they have to pass the ball and actually um, rely on Aaron Rodgers and those receivers, that's where it can get a little bit scary. That's why I kind of lean to the under uh, in that situation. Let's talk some props. We, we tried to talk through the props last week, and I think we got on the right one, and then it just didn't come through. Sometimes that happens. You end up on the, the short end of the stick, and sometimes you make the wrong bet, and hey, it ends up coming through. So th- this stuff has a tendency to wash itself out. Uh, you just want to try to be on the right side of most of these things, and hopefully the luck falls in your favor as well. You mentioned carry on Johnson. And I'm right now just looking at player rushing attempts for the game. I like these props more. It'd be like if you could try to predict targets for a player that if you have a game flow in mind of how this is going to go, like I hit this big on Adrian Peterson yesterday. It's like they're favored in this game. They've said they want to run the ball with Peterson and they dangled his over under rush attempts at 15 and a half. So unless he didn't get hurt, then he was going to get that over and he got it pretty quickly into the second half. So right now it's carry on Johnson over 17 and a half carries Aaron Jones over 15 and a half carries over under the either of those appeal to you yeah so for me the one that appeals to me the most is probably carry on more so uh, than Aaron Jones Aaron Jones actually that's a favorable spot but with Jamal Williams back and all week in practice this week they're saying that Jamal Williams has been looking absolutely fine which after that injury it's kind of crazy how these guys bounce back so quickly but there's a chance that Jamal Williams can just come into this game and he can go back to playing even with Jones playing well 45 50 percent of the snaps and push Aaron Jones back to a, a 13, 14 carry day. The Packers have not been, um, they, they've been very willing to do that. So yeah, carry on is where I would lean the most. That's the best matchup right now for Detroit. Yeah. And you have to think that this game stays close in order for that to hit. Like we've seen, you know, Arizona, 16 carries. The following week at the char- against the Chargers at home, that was a close game. Only 12 carries in that game. Then 20 against Philly. Then 26 against Kansas City. Uh, they lost to Kansas City, but they, they end up beating Philly. But it seems like they want to be competitive with the better teams. Run carry on Johnson as much as possible. It's a big number to cover, though. 17 and a half. I'm just looking right now. Maybe it's better to go at rushing yards. Rushing yards over under 72 and a half. Do you mind that? I mean, I, I lean the over there, but I, I, I think I actually like the attempts more. But, yeah, the Packers on a per-touch base have, have been getting gashed up. So both of those numbers, like I would lean for the over on both of them. Yeah, looking at Football Outsiders right now, Green Bay fifth in overall pass defense so far this year, 28th in rushing defense. Uh, and on the other side, when you have Detroit, 12th in pass defense, 14th in rush defense uh the 15 and a half for aaron jones is enticing but i think you kind of hit it on it with williams is there any receiver in this game you think you would look to like kenny galladay over under four and a half receptions but maybe jair alexander ends up on him and maybe there are just easier completions at another point of the field like marvin jones over three and a half tj hawkinson at eh, two and a half is probably pushing it for him at this point even if we don't know if he's gonna play yet or not Aaron Jones three and a half Feldes Scantling three and a half Allison three and a half none of those really leap out to me as something I want to be a part of no they don't I think I think Galladay's is interesting uh, only because there's I would say if I had to just pick a side and bet on the side of which cornerback covers him I would bet that it is actually uh Kevin King you have Jair Alexander usually will guard and it's probably not a shadow matchup either way but for the majority of the game 
Jair Alexander will usually guard the shorter cornerback just because Kevin King is is taller. He's going to match up better with Kenny Galladay. Marvin Jones is actually two inches um, taller. or uh, Marvin Jones is actually going to be the matchup that I would expect Jair Alexander to be on just due to size. Um, he's a little bit shorter than Kenny Galladay. So the four and a half catch is a little, is a little more enticing there, I guess. Do they have a Jimmy Graham uh, receptions prop? Yeah, it's three and a half. Yeah, that, that's tough. I would have said that. I would have liked it if it was at like three, so you get a push there. Yeah, yeah three and a half just seems like a bit much. Like, yeah. I guess with Adams out, I know Mercedes Lewis is running a bunch of routes. There's no props on him outside of like first touchdown, but I probably, yeah. don't, I probably don't even want to touch that. Maybe it's just a nice week to, to stay away. Maybe like over under sacks, four and a half. Ugh, I don't even like that I, very much. I think I think I actually I'm gonna look for that Jimmy Graham prop on my end or, or just reach out to people because I, I actually think I like that. Robert Tonyan's not gonna play this week. Third string tight end, but he was running about ten routes a week as a as a backup tight end. Now that might directly just help Mercedes Lewis, who's been running like right around that same threshold of ten to twelve routes a week as of late. Um, but Jimmy Graham, I would expect to be, especially because last week you didn't see Jimmy Graham that heavily involved because they were up by so big, but he still caught three balls. If this is a game that they're not up two to four scores and Rodgers has to throw more than 28, 30 times in this game, I think Jimmy Graham is the one person that he trusts the most outside of maybe Aaron Jones out of the backfield. But when they get into the red zone, it's, it's definitely Jimmy Graham that he's going to trust the most. So in a game that I would expect is more neutral script than a two to three touchdown difference like last week at Dallas, I think seeing three catches in that sort of a game is encouraging with a, with a three and a half total. And, and another tight end who's running out routes going to be out for this one. Week seven spreads the early look here. The biggest spread of the week is the Buffalo Bills favored by 16 and a half points at home against the Dolphins. I've had a rule where I don't like to pick the Bills to cover large spreads, but I don't know how Miami scores points on this defense. Yeah, and I, I, I just have a thing where when Buffalo's at home, if they're ever an underdog at home, that's just a fantastic spot to take points. But when they're at home, they're just a completely different team. And now this year in general, they're a different team, it seems, so far. But, yeah, I saw it. That was the first thing that stands out as such a huge spread there. And I actually, if I had to lean somewhere, it would be lean Buffalo. Yeah, even you could do Buffalo and the – like the over-under in this game is still only 39. Like if you think that the Miami at best can score 10 points, it's not like the Bills are going to score 50. So they can cover this game um, and win like, I don't know – 24 to three and both sides of it end up hitting like you could even probably even tease them down you could tease the bills down to minus 10 and tease the under up to 45 and a half and that might be the move like just as initial looks at this week yeah that i was i was exactly gonna say that i was gonna say is this is this a teaser move i know it's not the magic numbers to use the teaser for or that some people uh state it is but it seems like a nice little teaser right there especially i mean there's there's just no way that i don't think at least there's any way that uh, that that game just doesn't go over if you're going to be teasing it down at that point. Uh, the Jets Monday night are nine and a half point dogs at home against the Patriots. That's interesting because yeah, get, get it. Yep. Darnold looked good, good enough at least on Sunday against a really banged up Cowboys team. How's he going to look against this Patriots defense? Yeah, exactly. I didn't know where you were going to go with that. I actually like that many points at home is always good for a team in a prime time spot. But when you think about public perception going into it, Everybody just saw the game of the week, four o'clock, how good Darnold looked against and this offense looked in general against the Cowboys. So I do think now people kind of maybe forgetting a little bit New England playing on Thursday. I do think that this is a good spot to just get New England, obviously a team that is going to cover the most or 60 percent or whatever it is over the long term. I actually like and lean New England in that one. 
Yeah, it's going to be, I'm going to have to try to break that one down. Tune into the week seven spread pick show with Cust as he goes on about how the Jets are now the best team in the league. It should be kind of hilarious, especially coupled with the Chargers losing again. Uh, and Feinberg just going to be an absolute mess. He'll be crying the entire time. Let's discuss the Thursday night game just before we get out of here and talk about maybe some DraftKings showdown potential plays and maybe how this game goes. We know Mahomes is banged up with this ankle injury. It does look like Sammy Watkins is going to play from the other side of the ball. Like I had mentioned earlier that Emmanuel Sanders appears like he will be good to go for this Thursday night game after leaving against Tennessee in week six. So you'll have a full complement of players, basically. They might be not 100%, but they'll be on the field, it looks like at least. The Broncos are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. That just reeks of a trap line, doesn't it? Like, who's not betting Kansas City in this spot? Which worries me. Wait, are the, are the Broncos the favorite in this spot? No, they're, 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 three, they're plus three and a half at home. So the, the Chiefs yeah, are, yeah, yeah. are three and a half point favorites on the short week on the road. But still, like, th- these two teams shouldn't be close to each other. Yeah, I agree. I think that I actually personally think that Denver's defense gets the short end of the stick. But yeah, there's just so much negative sentiment going in on Kansas City right now as they're actually getting healthier because you you can't get as hurt. So I do like this spot a little bit. But in terms of like just showdown and and drafting plays, I love Philip Lindsay as a play here against Kansas City. Could you do you think that there is an opportunity if this game is going to be close, like the spread indicates that you could get away with using Lindsay and Freeman here, knowing that's what they're going to want to do. And over the last two weeks, Freeman has got the higher end of the touches and snaps. He's playing like 54% to Lindsay's 44%. And then just all of a sudden, like you'll see like Devonte Booker pop up on the field every now and again, but I wouldn't be too concerned about that part of it, but knowing that you can be so successful running, on the ground, up the middle against the Chiefs that two running backs could be in play? Yeah, I think it's in play. I think the only reason why it comes in tough or as being tough is because there's just so many weapons on Kansas City and probably guys that are naturally going to be cheaper for a showdown slate that expecting like some of those guys on that end to not put up points is difficult. But it is a tough matchup in terms of the defense for Denver at home. But yeah, I do think there's some weeks where I just set rules to like not have two running backs in a showdown slate together, but this wouldn't be one of those weeks. There's a real chance that, like you said, they try and just completely game script on the ground and both running backs see 12 to 15 touches each. Uh, the one thing I have noticed from showdown slates every time Kansas City is involved is just use Tyreek Hill as your captain because if he's if anyone's going to break the slate, it's going to be him, and you're going to want those captains 1.5 points. Yep, yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. It's like DeAndre Hopkins in primetime, and then it's like Tyreek Hill in, in primetime. It, it's not like, will he score a touchdown? Is it is it a multi-touchdown game? Is it a three-touchdown game? Tyreek Hill in primetime is fantastic. I usually try to have, like, Kelsey lineups along with Tyreek Hill lineups whenever Kansas City's on the slate. That's probably what I'll end up doing in this one. But Tyreek Hill, by far, just the, the highest ceiling for a one-game slate in terms of variance, he by far is above everybody else. Well, the, the issue in this game is going to be who do you end up taking at the cheap end? Because even like now that almost everyone is back for the Chiefs, they're all going to be priced up. Like All the running backs are kind of irrelevant at this point. Like Shady has been the best uh, for like season-long fantasy. He's 26th in fantasy scoring. Both the Williams brothers are 41 and 42. Uh, and like Two touches for Damian Williams. Like Fortunately, one was a touchdown. I don't know what to make of this backfield and if Mahomes is actually banged up it could work in one way you lean more on the running backs but at the same time with the offensive line banged up and Mahomes banged up they don't have to give you as much credit in the passing game to open these huge lanes like we'd seen in the past so I don't even know about the running game for the Chiefs here that maybe you need to look at someone like I don't know if Sanders is going to play but he's going to be banged up maybe Deshaun Hamilton maybe Noah Fant is guys 
Yeah, I was going to say Noah Fant, a guy who um, just stabilizing around his snap count. But if Sanders is banged up uh, on a short week, that's a guy that I would probably go to. Seemed to be a guy who picked up some sort of production uh, once Sanders went out there. But yeah, after that, it's, it's we have to see sort of what these salaries will end up looking like. But Noah Fant's like the first guy who stood out to me for a cheaper end guy if you're just talking about uh, position-wise and not just going down to a kicker or a defense or something along those lines. Even looking at the snap counts from week six against the Titans, and maybe that game flow won't be indicative of how it will work Thursday night against the Chiefs, but at tight end, Hewerman actually played 52% of the snaps along with Fant playing 65. So maybe Hewerman's going to come in super cheap that maybe you can grease a touchdown out of him if you can have the savings because, like I mentioned, if you want to pay up for Tyreek Hill or you want to pay up for whoever it might be, all the expensive options in this game are going to be too expensive to pile all together. They're going to need someone else. Maybe you just turn to like Kansas City's kicker or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially if you have like Mahomes in your lineup and, and you have Tyreek in there for just, if that's the way you want to try and correlate it, having like that same team's kicker makes sense in terms of having some sort of correlation extra point wise or just in the ability to move the ball is going to lead to more field goal opportunities. I just always say if you're interested in playing the kicker for the salary relief over some skill position players that surely probably have a, a higher ceiling than them, if they do catch a touchdown, uh, you just have to ask yourself, do you think they score nine to 12 fantasy points? If they do, then you feel good about that game flow and you feel good about the way you're going with your lineup. So yeah, kickers are definitely in play. I usually correlate it if you're playing the quarterback with his same kicker. Yeah, I tend not to, but again, you have to be so precise and get the perfect combination that maybe sometimes if you can jam in all the top studs, that's the way to end up doing it. Be curious to see how all of this plays out on Thursday night with the Chiefs at the Broncos. Salvetri, thanks for being on, man. It was a good time. Yeah, I appreciate it, Pat. This is fun. Thank you. It starts the week off good, gets the process uh, going for the week and just really understanding what happened in a more concise uh, viewpoint. Yeah, well, now that we've talked through this, you got to let everyone know uh, what you're up to all week and where they can watch and listen to you. Yeah, so I'll have content out all week long on my YouTube channel. You just type in Sal Vetri, my name, on, on really any format. It, it's stripped and put onto all audio platforms. And then on Twitter, it's at Sal Vetri DFS. I'll be on the Awesome Show on their YouTube channel and all their platforms on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 11 a.m. East Coast time. All right, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter. Facebook, and Instagram, where there is a giveaway that I talked about at the PME. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK bucks, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me what percentage of fab and how much fab you would use on a pickup this week and who that player would be. I'm curious to know who people are going after on the waiver wire. I think it'd be Robbie Anderson and John Brown, but frankly, in the more competitive leagues, I would guess they're probably already picked up ditto with Devin Singletary. So let me know who it is and how much fab that you're going to spend. Plus, you can always listen to the Pat Mayo Experience where Wherever you download podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, wherever, iHeartRadio, leave a five-star review after subscribing and downloading DraftKings handle and say something nice about the show, and you'll be in a draw for 20 DK bucks as well. Plus, there's always bonus content on the audio feed that doesn't make it into the video, stuff that gets cut out of the video that's not live uh, for all of the shows, just kind of appears on the audio feed. So you might want to go check that out. Always a good time for some extra content for them audio listeners out there. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. You can check out all my work on DKPlaybook.com. If you hit the description or comment section of this video, you will find the Listener's League link once it is available and all the links to the pickup power rankings, which will be adjusted as injury news rolls in over the course of the next two days. All right, I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. Good luck in week seven. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.